0: We're actually looking at the book of Job, and uh, uh, we'll have to flick through a few pages this morning, I'm afraid, but uh, let's find the book of Job to start with. Now, if you've been here for, uh, uh, what was it, last week anyway, uh, you'll know that uh, Job suffered terribly. He doesn't know why he suffered, though we've been uh, letting on it a little bit. This week, we're going to see how Job's friends who come to uh, comfort him, how they uh, uh, deal with him. I want to just read uh, three um, little passages from uh, uh, the next number of chapters to try and get a flavor of it. First, in chapter 2, verse 11. And Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And they saw him from a distance. They could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him. Because they saw how great his suffering was. In uh, chapter 4, let's read the first few verses of uh, when Eliphaz the Temanite first begins to speak. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you've strengthened the feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled, you've strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should you not your piety be your confidence, your blameless ways, your hope? Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. In the breath of God they are destroyed. At the blast of his anger they perish. The lions may roar and growl, yet the teeth of the great lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey. The cubs of the lioness are scattered. Well, Eliphaz begins then in chapter 4 quite deferentially, quite gently, doesn't he? Let's just glance forward to chapter 22. See where Eliphaz has got to by... uh, The end of his time speaking with Job. Can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise man benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? Is it for piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? You demanded security from your brothers for no reason. You stripped men of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary. You withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful man owning land, an honored man living on it, you sent widows away, empty-handed, and broke the strength of the fatherless. That's why snares are all around you, why sudden peril terrifies you. Why is it so dark that you cannot see? Why a flood of water, and why a flood of water covers you? False accusations, as we'll see in the end. Let's pray that God will help us to understand uh, these friends, shall we? Lord, we uh, want to understand your word. We know that uh, words written so long ago in a culture not our own and at such length can confuse us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity of thought as we seek to understand. And, Lord, that as we understand, we pray by your Holy Spirit, you would impress these things on our hearts and you would make us people, as we walk out, by different from the way we walked in. Please then, Lord, by your great power,
1: change our lives in Christ's name. Amen.
0: I think actually there are a few more things basic to human nature than the need to ask the question, why? Anyone who's a parent knows the irritating frequency with which that little word is, uh, is often bandied around. I can see the smiles from here. You know, why is the sky blue? Why can't we go to the park today? Daddy, why are you shouting at mummy? Why do I have to eat this? You know, one of my earliest memories actually relates to that. As a little boy, I drove my father absolutely uh, to despair with questions. And one day when I was very young, after a particularly long period of inquisition, my father turned to me and he said, why do you keep asking why? And I was completely bemused at that. It seemed to
1: me to be entirely natural, the most natural thing in the world for me to do. Of course it was. We need explanations. Human
0: beings, the whole of human society even, is driven by this, this, uh, this sense of a need to understand. We are called homo sapiens, the thinking human. And I think nowhere is the need to understand more acute than when we actually are confronted with suffering. The reason why the sky is blue may be a matter of idle curiosity. But when we suffer, the questions we ask go to the very depths of our being. So Job actually is quite typical as a human being. Last week we saw, didn't we, how through no fault of his own, he had to endure the most awful suffering. He lost his uh, uh, possessions, he lost his children, he lost his health. All that was recorded in the first two chapters of the book. We were given some insight into God's mind then. We were told that Job's suffering was was, uh, uh, not because of any sin that he had committed. In fact, we were told, he faces his suffering partly at least because of God's confidence in him. Neither Job nor anyone else in the story, though, knows that. Only we do. So Job repeatedly asks this this all-consuming question of those who come to comfort him, why? And in the the face of such a barrage of uh, questions, there is always a very strong temptation on the part of those who are asked the question to answer with a simple because, isn't there? Satisfy uh, that craving for understanding with a simple explanation.
1: You see, in the face of suffering especially, simple answers are nearly always wrong answers.
0: This uh, this week we're going to to look at uh, how Job's friends responded to him. And we're going to see that in fact, despite all their theological knowledge, They are still profoundly wrong in the answers that they give to Job. Actually, though, they did begin very well, didn't they? We read about that. They uh, decide to simply come and sympathize with him. When Job's friends heard about all the troubles, chapter 2, verse 11, that had come upon him, they set out from their homes Verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him and began to weep aloud, tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads, sat down on the ground with him for seven days. No one said a word to him. These are obviously men who loved and respected Job. They are not glib, uncaring characters. They sit with him for a week and say nothing. But actually, they still are going to provide answers too quickly. In fact, God himself, in chapter 42, verse 7, will say to them, I am angry with you because you have not spoken of me what is right. Actually, the very structure of the book of Job indicates uh, something of what's going on. It's uh, I've tried to record it here. So it was like... Uh, series of boxing rounds. Uh, uh, First of all, Job states his case, and then there are three rounds of discussion between Job and his three comforters. But uh, when you look at it, you find in the third round that Zophar, one of the friends, has given up speaking. In fact, when you read uh, read it, you find that Bildad's last speech as well is very, uh, very brief. In fact, they've run out of things to say to Job. Then uh, this, this young man, Elihu, who you, we won't have a time to chance to look at, jumps up and uh, begins a speech, and by this time, Job can't even be bothered to answer. So we find that uh, uh, Elihu's speeches just follow on one after the other, with no answer until finally, in fact, God answers. At the end of, uh, at the beginning of chapter thirty-eight. See the whole structure of the book of Job indicates that, in fact, these friends, so-called, are men running out of arguments. Well, we want to see. We need to see then uh, what it is that they do wrong. The first thing I want us to look at is the explanation that they give for Job's sufferings. They're strictly speaking. You see, actually, these explanations are not going to be incorrect theologically, but they're going to be simplistic in the way that they are applied. They make speech after speech. But in fact, after the first speech of Eliphaz in chapters 4 and 5, they say absolutely nothing new. The the typical person who, when they run out of arguments, just shout louder. So we're going to look, in fact, at Eliphaz's speech in chapters 4 and 5, just uh, glancing through it to try to understand the nature of what they say, their explanation for what's going on. Eliphaz makes a number of related statements. Firstly, he assures Job very strongly God is ultimately just. Do you see that in verse 7? Consider now, he says, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? Job, will, uh, 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 Job is protesting, but Eliphaz's thesis is that nobody perishes unjustly at God's hands. Why is Job suffering? Then um, He says to himself. Here he gets on to uh, uh, thesis number 2. uh, Chapter 4, verse 17. Thesis number 2 is, but no one is righteous before God. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Innocence is not found in human beings, he says. So, he says, if God is ultimately just and will not punish innocent people, But no one is righteous before God. And surely, Job, the inevitable consequence of that is thesis number 3 in chapter 5, verse 7. Suffering comes to everybody, doesn't it? Yet man is born to trouble, as surely as sparks fly upward. Nothing strange then, says Eliphaz, for you to suffer, Job. You cannot claim you are totally innocent. You must expect to suffer. In fact, he says suffering is not entirely all bad. The fourth thing that he says is suffering can be a discipline from God. Chapter 5, verse 17. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Perhaps his suffering is to remind Job of his sinfulness and help him to repent. And theologically, you see, all those statements are absolutely correct. The Bible teaches all of those things very, very clearly. God is just. No one is innocent. Suffering is a universal experience of mankind. God can use pain to discipline us. Actually, Eliphaz is quite gentle in the way that he says these things as well. He expresses hesitancy in Job's presence. Chapter 4, verse 2. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? He seeks to encourage Job in chapter 5, verse 18. For God wounds, but he also binds up. He injured, but his hands also heal. From six calamities, he will rescue you. In seven, no harm will befall you. In famine, he will ransom you from death. In battle, from the stroke of the sword, and so on. Eliphaz is gentle as he starts. But in the end, he's still saying this. He's still saying, don't question God. God has revealed certain truths, and we must just accept them, whatever life throws at us. And it is that simplistic attitude that God himself repudiates.
1: so important that we should grasp that. Last
0: week, we saw that Job had no problem dismissing his wife's uh, quick solution to his problem. If you remember, she advised him to curse God and die. And he labelled that uh, knee-jerk reflex very quickly as foolish.
1: But in today's world, There are also people who have another knee-jerk reflex. Christians who say, Do not question God, just accept these orthodoxies, and you will be okay. Actually,
0: especially a disease of evangelicalism sometimes. There's one thing that drives evangelicals very often. It's a need to have answers. And of course that that desire is not bad. And the Bible does provide us with an awful lot of answers. But there are also particular circumstances in this world sometimes when things are very, very confusing.
1: Quick answers are wrong. can be
0: sometimes the uh, Uh, supreme arrogance and faithlessness which drives us to those answers. It's arrogant because it assumes we have the capacity to understand everything that is going on. And it's faithless because it says, I understand this and keep God out of it. Whereas real faith sometimes
1: has to say, I do not understand this, but I still trust God. Possible for
0: evangelicals sometimes to be the most faithless of people because uh, the great doctrines that the Bible teaches can become in our hands just blind dogmatism. We can use scriptural truths as blinkers to stop us looking at the real world sometimes. Rather than as diagnostic X-rays to to analyze the the world, our faith can degenerate from a relationship with God into simply a
1: theorem about Him. Vital that we see yet we see that. When such
0: people try to comfort their distressed friends, they can do great damage because they bludgeon them with the truth. They de- they deny them the liberty to uh, grieve. They, they force these people to submerge all the unhealthy uh, emotions that they have. In the eyes of the sufferer, you see, God actually becomes an emotionless
1: t- a tyrant, he ceases to be a loving father.
0: As Job puts it in chapter 16, verse 2, such people can be miserable comfortless.
1: That's the Achilles' heel of
0: these friends then. They sought a quick and simple solution rather than real engagement with the confusing nature of what had happened to Job. They admit to no confusion, no mystery, and therefore in the end, despite their orthodoxy, they have no faith. What does uh, develop then throughout the rest of this book is 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 um, is these friends having their personal fallibilities slowly exposed more and more and more. We're going to going to look then at uh, their faults and how they become clearer and clearer throughout the book. First of all, we've seen they are too quick to speak. It's that you remember they were silent for a week with their friend. They didn't uh, jump in immediately. But still, they were too quick. Still, they felt that, uh, uh, that they had to uh, interrupt Job in his suffering. Secondly, though, that uh, quickness to speak rapidly moved on to a quickness to condemn. Bildad the Shuite, actually, in chapter 8, verse 2 is the first to voice this. Just turn over to page uh, 514. Bildad the Shuite replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Their zeal seems to uh, bubble up from a desire to defend God's reputation. Job's been asking some pretty strong questions of God. We'll see that uh, next week. And Bildad feels that enough is enough. He must rebuke this terrible man, Job. Actually, none of us needs to defend God, you know. There are many times, perhaps, when we need to warn people that they may be damaging their relationship with God. But sometimes, the bold questioner is more in touch with God and the person who rushes to uh, rebuke them, God can take a few sharp words sometimes. They're too quick to speak and too quick to condemn. And as uh, time goes on, we see more and more clearly what their root uh, motivations are. In chapter 11, we start to realize that they are driven by their need, their personal need to supply an answer. So far, it shows us that in chapter eleven, verses one to five, are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, "My beliefs are flawless, and I am pure in your sight." Oh, how I wish that God would speak; that He would open His lips against you. So far, is painfully aware. You see that God so far hasn't answered Job. He doesn't understand that. He's confused about it. So he thinks, I will fill up the answers that God hasn't given.
1: I'll provide an answer. They speak, they condemn. They seek to answer God when God himself is silent.
0: Very, very important things for us to learn. God is very, very patient with people who wrestle with him. It's the impatience of these people that uh, undermines the integrity of their dealing with Job. Actually, in chapter 15, we start to see another, perhaps even more uh, profound and important, uh, misunderstanding that they have. They have misunderstood what it really means to relate to God. See in chapter 15, verse 2, Would a man answer with empty notions or fill his belly with the hot east wind? Would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you have undermined piety and hindered devotion to God. It's a great irony here. Eliphaz thinks he is preserving piety by never questioning God, and that uh, Job is hindering piety by his outbursts. But actually, the opposite's the truth. The Bible measures uh, piety and devotion in terms of our intimacy with God, in terms of the seriousness with which we relate to Him as a person. Not in terms of our bigoted adherence to so-called orthodoxy. Now, Job is going to need to be corrected somewhat by God at the end of his time. He's going to be need to be brought back into line by God. But God prefers the Jobs of this world who
1: question
0: and the Eliphazes who don't. Finally, uh, Uh, as their arguments start to to, uh, peter out, they reveal something even more unsightly about themselves. Chapter 18. They reveal that they're actually more concerned with their own honor than with God's. Little says it. Verse 3. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? Then Zophar says it. In chapter 20, verses uh, 2 and 3. My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me. My understanding
1: inspires me to reply. You know? In the end, actually, it's sometimes our
0: need for self-respect. It's our need for others to re- to to, uh, to treat us with respect, that prompts us to give those answers. It's our public image. We must be seen to be wise and holy and intelligent. So in fact, the answers are not at all to help the jobs of this world, or even in the end,
1: to explain God to this world, just to justify ourselves. How are the mighty fallen, just a few chapters ago, we found Eliphaz
0: speaking hesitantly, didn't we? But now uh, the the mask has come off, and in chapter twenty two they even invent lies about Job. Is it for your piety that he rebukes you, verse five, and brings charges against you? Is it not your wickedness? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? And so on. He lists a whole lot of entirely fictitious sins to try, to try to fit Job's
1: experience into his understanding. Perhaps, in fact,
0: in the whole of this book, there is one overriding fault which defines all the others. One great difference between Job himself and his so-called friends. The friends spend their whole time speaking about
1: God. Job, again and again, turns to speak to God. That's the vital difference.
0: They seem to have a a second-hand understanding of God. And Job is not satisfied with that. So again and again we find his prayers and his thoughts turning to this great desire to meet God face to face.
1: These friends have uh, uh, moved quickly through speaking to
0: condemning to finally inventing lies about Job.
1: Never once have they turned to God in prayer. Let me tell you a story.
0: Once upon a time, there was a man who had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a great and wonderful city surrounded by a high and impregnable wall. And sitting outside the city was uh, someone reading a book. Presently, a woman came on uh, along and asked what the reader was doing. I'm learning about the way into the city, he said. Would you like to read with me? She sat down and they both buried their heads in the book. Presently, another man arrived. He was different. He actually looked no different and yet he shone with invisible light and stretching out behind him as far as the eye could see was a throng of people following the man who shone. What are you doing, he said to the two readers. We're learning the way into the city of no tears, they said. Oh,
1: I know the way. Said the man, follow me. Oh, we can't do that, they
0: said. We cannot trust anything, anyone else. Anyway, we've got the manual here.
1: We'll figure it out. I wrote that book, said the man. Follow me. Oh, no, 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 they said. The written
0: word is much more reliable. With that, they turned their their eyes to the book. They did not see the wall silently part at the touch of the man of light. They did not notice the innumerable throng walking past them into the great city. They were not aware of the wall silently closing behind them. As the sun set and the world grew cold, Two people sat alone,
1: staring at a book. Could it be true?
0: Could it be that some people of the book fail, in fact, to turn to the author of the book? Could it be that some of us only have the the face of of an Eliphaz or a Bildad or a Zophar or an Elihu? got lots and lots of answers we we're, we're oozing with self confidence sometimes our our zeal for god's name overflows
1: into righteous indignation or or is it something else is it zeal for our own name are we more interested in studying
0: the bible than in knowing god are we uh, more interested in our reputation than really caring for others? Are we more interested in fact
1: in learning truths than in knowing God? Most of
0: all, you see, we don't need a religious creed. We need a divine friend. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there are never answers, I'm not saying that reading the Bible is useless. But creedal orthodoxy is not a substitute for a living relationship with God. Especially when we meet those in trouble, it becomes painfully clear those who know God and those who only know about God. Job's miserable comforters teach
1: us that talking about God is no substitute for talking to them. Let's pray. Well first of all, the vast majority of us here will sense the need to repent sometimes of our thoughtlessness, our trite answers, our simple solutions. Lord, we pray, give us a sensitivity that comes from knowing
0: you personally. Help us to accept that we don't always know the precise reasons why things happen.
1: Give us humility, Lord. Lord, it may be that some of us here are feeling hurt by such simplistic solutions. Oh, Lord, help us to turn to you, we pray.
0: Not to be satisfied by any second-hand knowledge or partial understanding,
1: but to seek your face. Please, Lord, we pray. Meet with us. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.